Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host, Leo, and today we are talking about Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars. A <laughs> bit of an odd one this week, actually. I let, let, Let's real quick <laughs> go into some background, I guess. So, this book is a sequel to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. It is set between Jedi Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor, which there's supposed to be about five years in between the two games. So this falls in around two and a half-ish years in. It's supposed to be kind of dead center-ish to kind of, I guess, closer to the end of... Closer to Jedi Survivor, I I would say it's airing on. It's a weird one for me, because my expectations for this book, I wouldn't say that they were necessarily high. It's just what I was expecting and what I got was kind of different. But looking at it overall, you know, broadly, I think it does its job really well. It does what it's supposed to do without necessarily having to be chained to the games if if you can if you know what i mean so i'm actually going to do something a bit different this week normally i tend to go you know beat for beat play for play for most of the plots of, that i describe but the plot of this book is relatively simple while at the same time being slightly complex so what i'm going to do is i'm just going to skim over the plot and then talk about the books I guess, nuances a bit more. Uh, I don't expect this to necessarily be a super long episode. As it is, of course, at the end of this episode, I will also have a brand new update as to how the challenge is going. Uh, but, yeah. Anyway, so let's dive in. The plot for this is relatively simple. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the uh, inside cover, because I, I got the hardback. The back of the book is completely blank, which I find kind of funny. <laughs> So let me read the inlay. Here we go. So it starts with a little blurb at the top. Cal Kestis leads the Stinger Mantis crew on an adventure set between Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order and Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Then it goes into the main body saying, Cal Kestis has built a new life for himself with the crew of the Stinger Mantis. Together, Cal's crew has brought down bounty hunters, defeated inquisitors, and even evaded Darth Vader himself. More important, Marin, Seer, Grease, and faithful droid BD-1 are the closest thing Cal has to a family since the fall of the Jedi Order. Even as the galaxy's future grows more uncertain by the day, with each blow struck against the Empire, the Mantis' crew grows more daring. On what should be a routine mission, they meet a stormtrooper determined to chart her own course with the help of Cal and the crew. In exchange for help starting a new life, the Imperial Deserter brings word of a powerful, potentially invaluable tool for their fight against the Empire, and even better, she can help them get to it. The only catch, pursuing it will bring them into the path of one of the Empire's most dangerous servants, the Inquisitor known as the Fifth Brother. Can the Imperial Deserter truly be trusted? And while Cal and his friends have survived run-ins with the Inquisitors before, how many times can they evade the Empire before their luck runs out? So I think that that is a pretty nice summary of actually the plot, really. In some press releases and hints and whatnot that came out before the book released, what they kind of talked about was the Haxian Brood. That's kind of the main thing that a lot of the advertising in some articles were talk 
talking about was them going up against the Haxian Brood. Of course, that might have just been the, I think they released like a chapter or so before the book came out, and that kind of revolved around them fighting the Haxian Brood. But putting that aside, <laughs> it, it is a bit odd. The book does start out pretty much as advertised. Them fighting the Haxian Brood, that's their routine mission. And you're following Cal as he's kind of beginning infiltration. Then it does something that I didn't expect. It switches to Marin's perspective, which was interesting and fun. Like, when that happened, I was like, oh, cool, so this is going to be kind of a Cal-Marin book. And for the most part, it is. Though you do have a few chapters that kind of deviate and will be from the perspective of Seer or Grease, or for one very odd, very short, brief moment, the inquisitor which i found kind of funny uh but again so the overall plot is they infiltrate the haxian brood's lair in order to try and destroy the haxian brood once and for all they've been on their tail for so long and they're getting a bit tired of it so destroy it destroy their base completely uh then from there they run into a imperial deserter in the form of a stormtrooper or so they think uh who says that they can get them to... They, it's kind of fumbly around at this point. Basically, their initial pitch is, help me desert, I need your help deserting. And then it was, I can also lead you to a job, which this job is to find something called the Shroud. The Shroud is said to be something that makes you, for all intents and purposes, invisible. You do not show up on radar, you do not show up on cameras even somehow you just don't show up on anything you become essentially invisible without truly being invisible although from the sounds of it it also makes you potentially f truly invisible it it doesn't fully explain it's supposed to be the macguffin except for it's not a prototype it's the schematics but then it turns out when they actually go on the mission to not be schematics either it's a person who the stormtrooper actually knows. Shenanigans happen. The Inquisitor attacks uh, attacks them during their escape. Then drama happens. Then they go to confront a bird guy, and the Inquisitor shows up again. Shenanigans, and the book ends. That's the plot, really. <laughs> that, that's, that is the bare bones of the plot. And honestly... That's kind of all you need to know plot-wise for the book. Because not a whole lot actually happens in this book. It's a relatively short book, only in the hardcover edition, being 273 pages. So overall, not too long. Not too hard of a read, either. Uh, that's something I will say about Sam Mag's writing. Very easy read. The only thing that I have to say against the writing is, while they write interpersonal conflict pretty good their action stuff at least in the beginning and a little bit in the middle and end is kind of disjointed and kind of all over the place for my liking but for the most part it's fine you know you, you get used to it you settle into it for the most part this book is just interpersonal conflict the, that's the main focus of the book and this is where it starts to get a little bit complicated and in the description but so <laughs> I, I was expecting this book to kind of 
give us more plot hints or something for the next game. You know, set it up, build it up, kind of a little bit how uh, the Battlefront 2 book, Inferno Squad, kind of set up the tone and got you ready for Inferno Squad's story in Battlefront 2. This doesn't fully... It it actually hits some similar like emotional beats as the Inferno Squad story, because it basically the the book is building up their motivations for not being together as a group by the time you're playing Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Because at least in all the trailers that I've seen, it seems that the crew of the Mantis is split up, separated. Seer in the trailers is like running a library. From the looks of it, an archive of her own. Uh, Grease, we we have no clue what he's been up to, and same for Marin. Actually, funnily enough, uh, the story trailer for Jedi Survivor when it came out, it was it wasn't really any story actually, which I found kind of funny. But anywho, the main themes that kind of go through is everyone has their own goals, their own separate desires. Grease just wants them to stop running, stop poking the bear, stop gambling with their lives. He just wants them to stop. He's ready to throw in the towel and settle down. His dream is to open up a bar and, you know, be the chatty bar guy. They have to listen to his stories because he's the one with the drinks. And that's a cute thing. And from the trailers, it looks like he might have actually, you know, accomplished it. Marin is completely on a vengeance trip. She can't, you know, fight against those who actually killed the uh, Dathomirians, or the Night Sisters. So she is going to do the next best thing. Because technically, the, the CIS kind of formed into the Empire, at least partially. So she's going to fight the Empire. And she's going to kill whoever she can. Seer, kind of as stated and indicated by the trailer, she wants to leave a legacy. She wants to pretty much try to recreate the Jedi Archives to spread Jedi knowledge as well as, you know, give people a symbol of hope through Jedi artifacts. And it's only a bit, a small thing touched on. And Cal's goal is to bring down the Empire. He wants to make the galaxy safe and the only way he feels that that can be accomplished is to bring down the Empire. And this is kind of part of what leads to their kind of, they're almost certain uh, disbanding down the line. It doesn't happen in this book, but it, the seeds are sown. Like, the book ends on the line, we're okay for now. We're going to be okay for now, and that's all we can do is take it one step at a time, piece by piece. And, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's kind of exactly how it, it probably goes out. The action takes a back seat. Almost literally, in a lot of cases. There's a scene that's very classic Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, slash, I guess, Survivor, where Cal is going through, essentially, ruins, uh, you know, doing his parkour and whatnot. But the focus isn't on his traversal of the area, and it's more on the conversation he's having with Seer and Marin and, you know, everyone, <laughs> really as he's just kind of working through his anger at what's going on. Also, a big chunk of this book, um, if you look at Sam Mag's kind of, her her, her self-promotion 
of the book. She says that it's a very Marin forward story, and I'm willing to agree with that. She gets probably equal, if not slightly more page time than Cal, I think. Which I think is great, because she was probably the least explored character of the original game. And that's I, what I feel that this book's true purpose is. This book's purpose is to get you more acquainted with the characters. Because the original game didn't really do that all that well. Because it being a game kind of focuses more on the gameplay. And, you know, you're not traveling with anyone, so most of the conversations happened via calm. And it felt like one moment super angry and the next moment it's it's gone, I don't care, kind of thing in the game. But here, feelings linger. Emotions change. It's, you know, character development. And it's trying to catch up severely, especially with Marin. Because that's probably my most... Like, you get a little bit of her history and whatnot through the echoes and exploring Dathomir and, you know, the story of Jedi Fallen Order. But once she joins your crew, you have to constantly talk to her to get any information more about her and a lot of time you don't get it she just kind of goes huh cool this planet's green and then you fuck off to collect the last few collectibles because you only got her at the end of the game so most of the conversation you'll be having with her will be as you're you know ex re-exploring all of the worlds to collect the last bits of garbage that you left on the planet so so this, this was very welcome. Some revelations that people were not very happy about is that uh, Marin is pansexual, which means that she doesn't care about gender. She cares about the person and their connection. And I I don't care about that. I like it, actually. It's nice. Um, it, it goes really well with um, what Donald Glover said when he was playing Han Solo. He said, I believe that he played Han Solo as Pan because how how could you not be in space? There's so many wonderful people out there and experiences to have that why limit yourself? And, you know, that kind of works. As for other people's complaints that, oh, she ends up with, you know, she, she ends up with someone other than Cal. She doesn't, though. Yes, throughout most of the book, it explores her relation with the stormtrooper, whose name is Fret, but it works. It's nice. It makes sense, even. They have a kind of, uh, what's the term? I want to say like a, a pan flash. You know, it it's a love at first sight situation. They're immediately attracted to each other. Um, though it does take, a, it, the book tries to ease you into it before going hard. Uh, because while their attraction is described later as having been immediate, you're not really led on to it. In fact, funnily enough, I, I multiple times uh, spoiled the book a little bit for myself because I do that a lot. It's not a great way of reading books, but it's how I read books, and I get through them nicely. Sometimes a bit slow because I'm constantly arguing with myself over story plots and whatnot, and especially for this podcast, I, I try to organize my thoughts beforehand. But yeah, so when she first meets Fret, 
it's when Fret is trying to, you know, contact, get in contact with the crew of the Mantis to escape. She literally comes up and just like, t- kind of taps Marin on the back, um, in a way, and it it it's a thing. It's where Marin realizes, oh well, maybe she does enjoy playing with her food, and I was like, huh. And then I decided to Google what Marin, if Marin was bi, because I was like, oh, maybe she's attracted to both, because she had, in the Jedi Fallen Order, she seemed to have an attraction to Cal, and that's where everyone's hoping that she ends up with Cal. And I I get it. But this book also paints how maybe Cal isn't ready for that yet, and it makes a lot more sense, but we'll get into that in a second. And that's where I found out that she is pansexual, and further in the book, you know, like a chapter or so, it explains that she's pansexual. <laughs> so, whoopsies. <laughs> but, yeah, and that's also where I found, like, Sam Maggs's thing, and people saying, oh, well, there's a chance that she'll still end up with Cal and whatnot. And if you read the subtext of the ending of this book, you can see that that's very likely where it's going to end up going. It's just that this was a kind of more passionate thing and it's something that Marin needed because her previous relationships since joining the Mantis hadn't gone so well and her overall her connection to Dathomir was waning and Fret came in at pretty much Marin's time of need and was able to provide her that passion and that spark that reignited her fire literally in fact <laughs> um and yeah overall I enjoyed the relationship I'm not a big fan of the character of Fret because this book is like everyone keeping secrets from each other and Fret is probably one of the worst for it seeing as the position that she's in. It's best not to keep secrets, especially ones that could threaten the lives of the crew. And then of course, like halfway through the book, she decides "Eh," and fucks off. But then comes back when, oops, that didn't work how she thought it would. It annoyed me. But overall, Fred's character is fine, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I found it hilarious that she pretty much had to sit out the entire final battle of the book uh, doing sweet fuck all. So, I, I enjoyed that a little bit. Uh, so, why, why is Cal not ready for a potential relationship with Marin? Well, at the very least, at the beginning of this book, he wasn't. Because he, one, couldn't relate emotionally completely with Marin. While they both shared similar experiences and similar feelings, and that's part of the reason she joined the crew, Cal being a Jedi, uh, his immediate thing is to kind of suppress. Like, yes, I am sad, I acknowledge I am sad, but suppress. I am angry, I acknowledge I'm angry, but suppress. <laughs> so so she, she kind of couldn't vent. And Fret gave her an outlet to be able to vent. And his, his naivety, because of his situation, he, he of course, was taken extremely young uh, to be a Jedi. And his training was, of course, no attachments, no romance, no nothing. Uh, and, of course, as a young Jedi, as a Padawan, Order 66 happened. And he was forced to, you know, isolate himself from people for a long time. And he became a scrapper on Bracca. He just kind of dove headfirst into his job until he had to escape. So he has had zero 
romantic relationships in his life. He doesn't know how to be passionate like that. Though it is very obvious from reading the book that he is indeed in love with Marin, though, and Marin is even very likely in love with him. But they don't fully know how to express it except for kind of through action of protecting each other and caring for each other. And they're not fully sure how to express their feelings for each other. But Marin was able to more freely express her feelings with Fret. But I will say, my biggest gripe about Fret and Marin's relationship is they do Cal dirty. They do him so dirty. It's... Uh, I feel it is probably the one of the worst things they could have done to him. So, this book has a sex scene. In fact, it has probably the most prolonged and semi-detailed sex scene of a Star Wars book that I've ever read, at least. Um, it's not the first Star Wars book to have a sex scene that I believe goes to Lost Stars, at least in the new canon. <laughs> and it's not the first Star Wars thing to have a sex scene. Uh, again, I think that might go to Lost Stars, but it also, the first on-screen thing was Andor, and that's still mostly just implied, nothing shown. This is probably the most detailed Star Wars is probably going to get, unless they decide to very much branch out. But uh, Marin and Fret have kind of an extended sex scene. Nothing is, of course, directly described. It's more vague allusions to what happened down the line, and I'm gonna give Sam Mags huge credit. She nails subtle description. Like, vivid. Subtle and vivid. It works beautifully. Back to this, this sex scene. It's, I, I think, implied that they just have sex a lot. After they start, they almost don't stop. Uh, and I'm guessing it happens for like nine days, or at least several days, as they're traveling to their mission location. <laughs> and so, the the reason I say that by them doing that, they're doing Cal Dirty, it's not necessarily the act of sex, it's where they're doing it. Because, as it is, immediately, Marin and Fret are bunking together. They bunk together, and, you know, so you think, oh, you know, they're... They're doing it in their room. No, they're doing it in Cal's room. They're doing it on his bed. And that's what I call them doing him dirty. So so Cal is letting Marin use the engine room and his cot uh, to meditate. Because she has she's losing her connection to her fire, to, her, to Dathomir. She's losing that connection uh, to her magic. And so he's letting her meditate to try to help rebuild that connection. Uh, but then Fret comes in, and they start getting busy, and, uh, <laughs> she seals the door with magic, and, you know, through their passion, her spark is reignited, it's a lovely thing, but they literally sh already share a room, why are they doing it in his bed? It, that's the main thing that annoyed me about it, is that they, they already share a room, <laughs> but of course, if they were using their room, then the scene where Cal uh, breaks in to Fret's stuff to, you know, try to suss out if she's, you know, trustworthy and ends up just coming up against a personal secret <laughs> to where he's like, 
when he when asked like why didn't you share it, it's like it wasn't really my thing to tell. Like if it was like oh he, she's imperial still, I would have told you. Uh, I it, it was more just like she had a relationship. Good to know, I guess. <laughs> Speaking of that relationship, um, their mission is to get the schematics for the shroud. They go to this prison. Which, you know, should have thrown up more red flags than it did, I guess. Because <laughs> they're like, why did they lock up, you know, a data tape? They didn't. It's obviously a person. So, they go, find out that it's a person. It's the person that Fret used to date. They rescue it, but as they're trying to figure out, like, okay, well, since it's a person, we can't exactly take it to this guy that hired us. So, and during that, Fret... And I believe her name's Iray. Just fuck off. They fuck off for the rest of the prison bit of the book. And they really don't press Fret as hard as they should have about that decision. Like, <laughs> it's technically an argument that could have gone on forever. But this book is like half arguments. So, you know, what what else is it going to be? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that happens. Then they, like I said, they escape. Um... Then it just becomes like this weird love line slash square slash whatever. Because, you know, Cal is obviously interested in Marin, but he's not going to interfere. He doesn't want to, you know, be a burden, and he doesn't understand his own feelings. Uh, Marin is interested in Cal, but understands that he he can't. <laughs> he, he just isn't anywhere near ready for her, really. And especially since he keeps kind of pushing her away. And, uh... Marin likes Fret. Fret likes Marin. But Fret also likes Ire. Ire likes Fret. <laughs> but Ire also is angry and semi-suicidal. Uh, <laughs> because she doesn't want the plans to really end up in... Well, especially the Empire's hands, but kind of really anyone's hands... Because the whole reason she developed it was for her and Fret to escape the Empire. But, you know, it didn't really work out that way. Ba -ba -ba. But yeah, overall, like, the action is okay. Like, in terms of action. The beginning scene is a little bit all over the place. Um, imagining what's actually their surroundings and what's going on. It, especially when they're trying to infiltrate, like, the Haxian Brood lair. Just no fucking clue. Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't really keep up with what the hell was going on there. The description of the location and everything. Like At first I was like, okay, yeah, I can kind of see that. But then it was like, okay, it's like an, a concentric ring situation. The outer ring is... What? Uh, <laughs> so I was just like, ah, whatever. Then also, who actually let the stormtrooper onto the ship becomes a weird debate. Because technically Marin wasn't going to let the stormtrooper on the ship. But then... Like, all of the weight of the decision to let the Stormtrooper on the ship is put onto Marin for some reason. Because the person who actually physically helps pull the Stormtrooper onto the ship and, like, guide them to the ship is Seer. So, I... Pff, no clue there. Then, the fifth brother. The fifth brother is probably the flattest part of the story. Like... He barely registers much on the story. He 
he gets a little tiny bit of a a, a see in as we follow him uh, as he gets ready to depart for the prison to pick up the person who has the shroud and he then we don't see him until he arrives at the prison and fights Cal and Seer uh, and for a bit Grease where he then actually cuts off Grease's arm uh, and then he once again disappears for the rest of the story until he appears at the very end to once again attack Cal uh, and Marin this time and like at the end of the book he's presumed dead by the crew but as I believe we know he does not die until he is killed by Darth Maul in Star Wars Rebels I don't know where that falls in the timeline but uh, that's where he, he's supposed to have died yeah especially since he's also he, he's alive in Kenobi which is set at least two years after this book so, you know, there's that. <laughs> he survives the weird explosion that they make. But, yeah, overall this book's focus isn't on its own story or the action. It's all characters. Their feelings for each other, their feelings for what they want to do with their lives and whatnot. And I feel that that works really well. Though I do have to say that I... I kind of wish that a little bit, it tied a little bit more into like what's coming up besides their emotions. And I also wish that they didn't say just about every five pages that they loved each other. Like every time it switched characters, every time uh, they thought for a little too long or they were in the middle of an argument, it was, we love each other, we're a family. Of course, this is all in their heads, but still. Like Marin's like, I love these people. Cal's like, I love these people. Then Sierra's like, I love these people. I don't want to hurt the ones I love. I don't want to do this. Like, if they throw around the word love way too much. Because then it kind of defeats the purpose of, like, a stronger connection. Like, yeah, you love your family. But sometimes when you have a more passionate connection, you feel like you might love that person a bit more. And, of course, you still love your family, and you would help your family, but you might be a little bit more willing to, you know, choose the person that you're a bit more passionate about. You know, not to dehumanize it too much, but, you know, when you work, you kind of want to do the thing you're more passionate about. And I think overall in life, you tend to choose the thing that you're more passionate about, because you have more of a drive towards it. Uh, but yeah, the, the book overall ends with Fret and E-Ray just kind of fucking off. They, they just leave uh, after, you know, the plot's resolved. What little of it there is. They leave, and the crew's still together, but they're kind of on tender hooks from this point on. Uh, and that's kind of where it leaves us before Jedi Survivor. Uh, and... <laughs> Funnily enough, if I had done a Mario episode, this would have actually this episode would have come out the same week as Jedi Survivor, but I couldn't be fucked, so uh, <laughs> I'm not rearranging the schedule again. <laughs> this this goes out the week before Jedi Survivor comes out, and I'm happy with that. It's close enough. As for whether or not I'll be covering Jedi Survivor anytime soon, that's questionable. 
Um, I have like no money, so I probably can't. <laughs> and as for how this kind of relates to the challenge, so I, I as I have stated before, I pre-record the main portion of these episodes. I am currently recording this episode at 3.06 a.m., uh, the day before the challenge starts. So the challenge starts on Monday. It is currently Sunday. I still have to edit the D&D episode that comes out with the first update. Um, and I finished this book an hour ago. Actually, a little less than an hour ago. <laughs> so, you know, I'm cutting it a bit close. I'll have one day without reading a book. And then I have to start reading, you know all of the Percy Jackson books. <laughs> it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a fun time for me, especially since I don't get to read anything else but the books I've assigned myself. So it, it's going to be a, a bit of a rough one. The key reason why I put in the Spacer books. Anywho, uh, <laughs> which is going to make it a bit jarring, uh, for the next bit of the episode in which I'm going to be giving you an update on said challenge. Let's see, where are we or where should we be in terms of the challenge? Uh, ba -ba -ba. So we are on update three. So week three into the challenge. The first update, uh, having gone with Honor Among Thieves, has is you know wasn't really much of an update uh and then update two being a bit more substantial with final fantasy origin uh, strangers of paradise final fantasy origin i always say it wrong <laughs> it's a little bit annoying that i always say it wrong but i always say it wrong uh but yeah so with that do i recommend this book absolutely but kind of adjust your expectations a little bit because you might be expecting, like what I was expecting, you know, it to be a lot more tied into the games and much more of a story-focused um, book. But it's not. It's much more character-driven and character-focused than it is on the action going on around. Like, heck, them going into the, like, final confrontation... Uh, begins with Seer and Grease watching what's happening uh, from a essentially a screen miles away. <laughs> so it feels very disconnected in that sense. But yeah, with that, I, I do recommend it. It's a sh pretty short read. Uh, I read it in uh, two weeks. Uh, and that was me being quite uh, restrained with how I was reading it because I was trying to plan it specifically if I wasn't being kind of careful with how I was reading it I probably would have finished it in about a week but I was being careful and I kept stopping myself to argue uh, with myself because that's how I read books uh, especially ones I haven't read yet uh, but yeah speaking of books and how I read on to this week's update for the challenge Okay, so it is now update time. Again, I really need to figure out a potential jingle or something for in between this. But for the time being, it's just going to be this. And probably for <laughs> quite a while, too. 
because this update is a bit of a complex one. It's going to be a fun uh, bit of an update. So let's start with just the general progress update. I have indeed finished the Sea of Monsters. So that's yay. Bad news. Uh, it took par. So par in this case is I have kind of dedicated one week, you know, set aside one week per book. In this one, I hit par, uh, which means I, I it took me one week to read. Which you might think, oh, that's not too bad. But Sea of Monsters is the shortest book in the series, and probably the shortest book of this challenge. And it took me a whole week to read. Now, I do like to savor this book. It is one of my favorite ones. But I was kind of hoping to finish it on Monday, like I said I was going to try to do. But instead, I ended up taking way too long. So I finished it on Thursday, and I posted the update on YouTube Shorts about it. And... We, I have officially started The Titan's Curse, and I am about 100 pages into it, so I am on track to hopefully finish it on Monday. I keep saying that, but this time I hope it's true. We'll see. But there are a few complications coming into this week, but with any luck, that will hopefully only affect Battle of the Labyrinth. The complicated thing is I might be getting a job fairly, fairly soon that... Um, kind of takes me away from my books. It's a fairly short-term job, at least part of it is, that uh, it, it's complicated. <laughs> to put it simply, it's complicated. And I'm hoping that I get the job because I need money. I won't know until Tuesday of this upcoming week, but I will find out by then, and I'll be able to then update next week about what's happening. So I'll keep you guys updated as to what's going on. My current plan is that I will take at least seven books with me just in case uh, I end up getting the extension that might happen. But yeah, <laughs> I might end up adding a bit of a section to the podcast that's, you know, detailing my adventures. Who knows? We'll see. But other than that, that is the, the job portion of the update this week. Uh... But yeah, it could make things very complicated. Uh, the things that are going into and might affect Battle of the Labyrinth this upcoming week, after I finish the Titan's Curse, of course, is I do have like a dentist appointment on Wednesday, so that might affect it a bit. Uh, not too much, hopefully. And then I also have something coming up on Friday, but with any luck, that will actually help speed up the process. Uh, hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> and if that does do what I hope it does, then we'll actually be uh, banking some decent time. But yeah, uh, how are the books going so far? Well, like I said, I finished Sea of Monsters. It is probably my favorite book, or at least one of my favorite books of the original five. My least favorite being, um, funnily enough, Titan's Curse. Because for some reason, my the only way I can imagine Titan's Curse is it being just ungodly dark the entire time. And I think that's just because of the, the tone of the book. It's it's what a lot of children's books do, and the third one gets dark for some reason. Uh, it, it's the first one with proper, like, lasting consequences and problems. Um, I do also like the fact that it does develop showing just how much Percy cares for Annabeth, so I do appreciate that from it. But I kind of appreciate their moments in Sea of Monsters a little bit more. 
because they actually are able to share more moments in Sea of Monsters. Uh, because in Titan's Curse, Annabeth is just MIA for most of it. But other than that, it's fine. There's some retcons in the third book and whatnot. And it's Percy kind of at his worst, but it's kind of understandable because he's super fucking stressed out. He's just trying to push to save Annabeth, and everyone keeps telling him, no, he can't, so suck it. Uh, and he he understandably gets upset. This is also where they kind of introduce the hunters, or hunters of Artemis and their deal, and the fact that Annabeth might try to, or was at least looking into the potential of joining them. And it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and I think Percy probably should have saw that, because... For Annabeth to join the Hunters would be mean her kind of giving up her dream of becoming an architect. Um, so, yeah, there, there's that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm currently chugging along in Titan's Curse. Like I said, it's, it's the one I have the hardest time reading. Uh, but I am making a lot more progress just because I want it done. I keep fighting these feeling, the these clashing feelings of I want to get it done as fast as possible so I don't have to think about it anymore. And oh my god, I really don't want to continue reading this right now. So that's a thing. But with how much I plan on hopefully reading today and tomorrow, I should, fingers crossed, properly get it done on Monday. If not Monday, Tuesday. But of course Tuesday, I'm going to be super stressed out and might not be wanting to read, so we'll see. You know, these things, they change. <laughs> but with that, that I believe is a good place to end for the update today. Uh, once again, I will be updating you guys a bit more on how things might end up changing uh, going forward. <laughs> because there's a, a chance that a lot of things might end up changing uh, as of next week. Anywho, thank you guys so much for listening, and I will talk to you guys next week. Goodbye.